And we started having just conversations around those things that they were bringing up. And it was an opportunity, again, like elevating the, the impact that design can have, of just being a problem solver, a thought partner, an ear to those existing business relationships. Hey everyone, welcome to Design Drives. In this episode, I talked to Kevin Betun, the founder and chief creative officer at Dreams Design Life and chair at the DMI Design Management Institute Board of Directors. Kevin also gave a TED talk on the four superpowers of design, which I can really recommend. And he's super passionate about the intersection of business and design. Throughout his career, he has been working at companies like Nike, where he was starting out, and then later on worked at companies such as BCG Digital Ventures as the VP of Strategic Design. He's been working on the intersection of design and strategy exploring ways designers and design teams can impact business strategy. And this is exactly what we're going to focus on in the episode, business and the intersection with design, but then also learn how designers can impact and drive business strategy and how to grow the value of design within an organization. So enjoy the episode. Kevin, thank you so much for making the time today to chat with me. No, thank you for the honor, Sebastian. So I think it would be really great if you could give the audience an introduction about yourself, what you have done in the past, and give them a little bit about an overview about your journey and the projects you have worked on. No, great. Thank you. I would say at the present moment, first is I'm the founder and chief creative for Dream Design and Life, very much a think tank aimed at delivering design and innovation services using a human as well as systematic approach, problem solving. It represents a mixture of strategic design that really shape the futures of organizations and then industrial design to make sure that the opportunities that we uncover are actually rational against the strategic context that we surface, to make sure that the design, the portages are spot on. The second set of calories is I serve as the board chair for the Design Management Institute, and that's a global collective of practitioners and executives that really carry design as a strategic imperative. And then lastly, I'm a first-time author working with the MIT Press, a book coming out. February of next year. In terms of background, I've had a, a multidisciplinary path. I, I started my career in mechanical engineering with a curiosity for drawing and design, but design was very much in the abstract. It wasn't really, really celebrated where I was from. And I spent the majority of my childhood in the Downriver Detroit area in the heart of big auto country. So it was either business or engineering. So I took perhaps engineering as a pragmatic step so I worked in nuclear power, if you can believe that, for a while. A natural curiosity for business sort of crept into the product and engineering experience that took me to business school. And then I ended up at Nike in a business capacity, but I was very much a product person at heart. And Nike really opened my eyes to the power that design could have in conjunction with business and technology. I started uh, meeting newfound creative friends. Friends gave me opportunities to stretch myself on actual footwear design, <laughs> got a few shoes to market. And then I decided to actually go pursue additional schooling in design to really solidify that creative foundation. And meanwhile, the world was changing so much that I saw an opportunity to really position my career at the intersection of those disciplines, working on design and innovation topics for the rest of my career moving forward. So that's sort of how, what led me to where I am today. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. This is amazing. And I hope we're very inspiring for the audience. I think what's also interesting is that you have 
kind of a strong connection to, like you said, you know, engineering to some degree, but also specifically business, right? I think we, are, we have done an MBA. I think we are looking into, you know, how to leverage business knowledge, design knowledge, I think throughout your career. How important do you think it is for designers to understand business and to gain business knowledge? Yes, you know, it's funny. When I was entertaining the idea of even going to business school, a few versed business friends of mine basically told me to look at it as a language. You're garnering a new language. And they were very much right. And, you know, at first, mechanically going, Going through the business classes for the first time, having been an engineer, felt very awkward, right? But you realize business had a dominant share of influence for most enterprises, big and small, the world over. You have to understand that influence sort of moves by language, it moves by a unique form of storytelling, really. And, you know, even though it took some time to simulate the mechanics of accounting, finance, and all these different muscles I was building. When, when I got back into a, a real setting with that business acumen, that, that knowledge, that language, I saw opportunities to unearth and surface the stories that were behind the numbers. And the stories of business impact definitely translate to user experience, definitely translate to how we invest in technologies and apply technologies in the, the, the most relevant and coherent ways. So these languages are commingled. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think are the steps designers need to or should take in order to you know gain business knowledge? Or what would be your advice for designers who want to take their first steps in understanding or getting more business knowledge or at least business empathy? I did an MBA just based on the curiosity and where that led me. I don't recommend that anyone just repeat that path for the sake of it. That was one way. But I, I think if we view it as a language, I think you can begin uh, today of just immersing yourself in business conversation, whether it's reading the Wall Street Journal or Financial Times or global periodicals like of that nature, where you, you can get a pulse on the influence of where growth is happening, how people speak about growth, how people think, how people speculate about the future of certain industries, certain commodities, certain emerging sort of technology horizons, business lens to those opportunities. And you can immerse in those conversations today. So also there's just basic fundamentals can be helpful to further unpack this language of business. Immersing in a basic accounting sort of book or a basic finance book can teach you a lot about time value of money, how that works. Uh, it can teach you how to basically pick up any company's financial statements that they have to, you know, for public companies, they have to publish those things. So you can actually pick up an annual report the company that you like or are concerned with and start to understand like the story. When you know those basic mechanics, you can begin to unpack the story around some of your favorite companies, some of your favorite industries and begin to see opportunities where design can intersect to make those stories even better. What I also feel sometimes that it's about, it's about language like you say, absolutely. And I think it's about building bridges and also when it comes to how designers communicate their design, right? And I think if you can speak the language of that other person you're trying to convey or influence with your ideas or trying to get their feedback, I think that where it really helps. I think it helps to you know increase your impact as a designer and you should do so you can basically create a win-win, right? I think that's always the best thing, right? So obviously designers are coming more from the user side and we want to see how we can, you know, create happiness in the end or solve problems for people. But if you can leverage this with really articulated business value as well, I think there where you can really create tremendous yeah movement within an effort or an organization and uh, get buy-in from other stakeholders. Is that also what you experienced throughout your career when it comes to communicating design to other stakeholders? 
It's an interesting question that you pose because I, I think about some of my friends who I serve on the DMI board with. One, one gentleman is Mr. Bob Schwartz. He led GE Healthcare Design for a long time. He's now in academia, but he would always say, you know, the business folk don't necessarily want to hear a bunch of theory about design, right? And especially with design earning new seats at the strategy table. Unfortunately, one of the mistakes that we sometimes make is we will overly pontificate about the power of design right? But it, it can feel like theory when the business person's hearing it, when they're under so much pressure to keep the business momentum going. So I think instead, friends like Bob, as well as my own experience, Bob would always say, you know, it's always good to be subversive with a good heart. So really understand your business stakeholders and get into their mindset around like what KPIs, what metrics are important to hit, what momentum or growth is important to pursue, and how can design be subversively a thought partner, contributor, a shaper to make sure that the business can actually achieve those goals in a very relevant, ideally sustainable and coherent way. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's like user research with your business stakeholders, right? In a certain sense, right? It's about understanding Absolutely. their needs and yeah, having empathy towards their problems, right? And I think it's a good point that you, you make there with the, the language. Yeah, super interesting. I think you also had a super interesting TED talk, which was about the four superpowers of design. And I think, I mean, obviously I recommend everyone in our audience to have a look at that TED talk, but also maybe you can give them already an overview or maybe talk a little bit about what are the superpowers of design. Sure, and just a little bit of historic context, which led to the talk. In my previous role, before I started my company, I was an early creative founding team member, creative founder of what became BCG Digital Ventures. And we were basically creating a multidisciplinary incubator inside the Boston Consulting Group. And while we were grateful to have a runway to really demonstrate our multidisciplinary collaboration and all the opportunities that that gives you and having design have an equal third representation in that mix was really powerful. But at the same time, being a design leader, a growing design function within that multidisciplinary engine, I became very worried about the designer's experience when, you know, the, the some of the typical precedent is having the team in the room together, constantly brainstorming and moving things forward. That's all fine and good. But sometimes people's perception of what design is gets a little skewed. It gets a little colored in those situations where they might think the post-it notes or the whiteboarding exercise is what's design. We're sharing a, a human-centered mindset that's good, but the design designer actually needs to get away from the team room <laughs> to, to spend time in the field or to prototype in the garage or to storytell or even, you know, work with developers writing code and making interesting things to go test, right? There's a lot of deeper things at play. So I started writing about it. Writing turned into invitations to give talks. And then TED and BCG have a partnership where I was invited to the TED stage to deliver the four superpowers. So in essence, I wanted to shine a light on a few different cases where if you leave design some space, here's what you get when you allow that to happen. And, and I likened it to this analogy of superhero superpowers. <laughs> so the first was like, you know, if we play on the, the theme of x-ray vision, when we tell that story, it's about really surfacing the deeper why, whether it's through ethnographic research, contextual inquiry, design investigation. Like we have a, a unique tech getting to the deeper whys at play, the value criteria that affects people. The other superpower was this notion of shape shifting. But really what that means is walking in the shoes of our audience that we're serving, walking with them, designing with them, not just for them, and really codifying our empathy our empathetic understanding, codifying that into real products and services, whether it's physical or digital experiences. Another superpower was how do we make the audience the superhero and, and really playing into philosophies from folks like Mihai, Csikszentmihalyi and the notions of flow. How can you move someone into a state of optimal experience where they get to celebrate the best of themselves? How, as designers, how can we power people to do that? And then lastly, 
just remembering that we are more than just designing for rectangular screens. We have to appreciate all the sort of extrasensory aspects of life that make us human and design for all those rich ingredients, physical, digital, sensory, and make sure that comes across in our experiences. So that was the, the four superpowers of design in a nutshell. Yeah, super interesting. Do you see, you know, looking at how, you know, the world is changing and maybe also, you know, what happens with COVID, etc. And uh, looking at D4 superpowers, but maybe beyond to other smaller superpowers that you maybe haven't you know, mentioned or like maybe fall into different categories. What do you think are things that are getting more and more important for designers when you see like how things are changing and things are evolving? Obviously, pandemic stripped us of some abilities, right? To connect, to understand our audiences, to be intimate on the ground with them, right? It, we're limited. But in other ways, I think we've gained access. Like you and I are having this conversation now across separate continents where we, we might have not been as easily inclined to do, to make this connection pre-pandemic. So, you know, I think in many ways, while we navigate these challenges, we also have opportunities to gain a lot from each other, figure out ways of collaborating that work in this new paradigm. So like a lot of the work now in my business, we, we're very much heavy on asynchronous collaboration not sitting on top of each other at the same time is not always necessary, right? So we're just figuring out new ways to get the same work done. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And I think, you know, collaboration and communication are definitely two areas. And yeah, to your point, I think initially we wanted to, you know, conduct this chat here at uh, Munich, actually, because you had a keynote lined up at the DMI conference in Munich, which was canceled. So because of COVID, right, that's why we connect digitally. And yeah, I think to your point, I think, yeah, flexibility, I think it's uh, definitely, I guess, something, you know, where we gain. Talking a little bit about also your role at DMI, where you try to see where design management is going, right? Or the design industry is going. Could you talk a little bit about what you're trying to do at DMI? Maybe a little bit about your, your role there and maybe some of the things you are maybe excited about? No, ha happy to share. In my role as board chair, I get to serve alongside an incredible cast of board members and we're all in service to Carol Bilson, the, the current president of DMI. And Carol is a trailblazer. She was doing design management before many folks called it that or called design thinking what it is. And Carol being a black woman in America, being one of the first to rise at the, the at the executive ranks for design. There's just so many learnings that Carol has that just helped the industry. And I think for, for Design Management Institute, I think our focus is moving beyond purely like, let's say, a design thinking conversation across executives and practitioners. Like, of course, that's important. We need to celebrate the mindset around human-centered approaches. But we're also getting hyper-focused on certain topics that are relevant for our industry. One, diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. We believe that design can play a leadership role because imagine, you know, we're serving different audiences. The world is hyper-connected, multifaceted. Diversity runs through all kinds of layers of intersectionality. So when we think about the future of our design and innovation studios, it's important that we, future state sense, mirror the world that we're serving. And so how can design have a leadership role in influencing, like, you want to be relevant to your audience. You want to be correct from a human imperative to understand your audience. And then from a business imperative, this is not nice to have. Like, it's critical for your business this future to be relevant and mirrored to that beautiful tapestry of the world. And so for many organizations, that isn't the case today. And what it begs is having a coherent transition management strategy to evolve your organization to be able to meet the needs of the future world. And so that's many of the conversations that we're having within DMI. Also, uh, we're heavily concerned with emerging technologies like AI, machine learning, and the ethical, sustainable application of those things. So we're having a lot of conversations around broader systematic impact beyond just the business concern that design is serving against. 
Like we need to also raise our voices and say, let's appreciate the larger system. And if we take care of implications on the data ethics, employees, environment, all these things beyond our company walls, we're all better for it because we can now see like what's happening. Everyone can see the domino effect. And I think brands that will win in the future are those that are going to be respectful and more systematic in their thinking about how they deliver value, but in respect to their audience more, more holistically and in respect to climate change and the environment. Yeah, that makes totally sense, right? I mean, I think the, the topics that you have laid out, right, uh, diversity and I mean, as designers, we come from the, the user perspective. I think, as you said, we are in a good position actually to take a leadership role there and see how we can bring these things uh, to the table. And I think what it needs there, I think, is a good connection to the business stakeholders, right? Because otherwise, they're just going to be in the silo and nobody's going to hear them. But you actually need to bring them up, I guess, on a higher organizational uh, level. And I mean, the other things that you have mentioned are, are also super interesting. I've had a couple of interviews in this podcast with people that were trying to bring design thinking and design facilitation, innovation skills to rural areas or developing countries, right? To have them more participate in the process of innovation. And, and I think there's a great discussion going on right now on a sort of larger scope when it comes to how, uh, what's the future of human-centered design? Right. And I think there's been uh, some discussions and interesting conversations going on. If, well, human centered design just serves the human, but how about like the larger system? Right. So, how about circular design as a process and, you know, incorporating the environment more sort of as an additional stakeholder that you have to work with, basically, and see how you can also design for that. I think it's a great uh, direction, but I'm wondering a little bit what do you see as challenges to, to push these things forward? Because I mean, specifically, I think the, the topics itself are very challenging, right? I mean, they are very broad scope and we as designers is one part of the, the bigger puzzle, right? So what are some of the challenges to move these things forward? I absolutely agree with everything you described. While we may have a human-centered mindset and that's a good thing, we also are susceptible for sort of breeding harm, let's say, and I'll, I'll use an example of sort of the clock. Again, those business stakeholders that we serve or work alongside, there's tremendous pressure to move the business forward. And unfortunately that can breed sort of short-term thinking and even the speed of the clock of like the pressure can imply an authority. And sometimes team members forget, oh, you know, because I have to ship a product or an app in a month, there's no time to really like ask the hard question or just like sort of slow down to wrestle with a deep problem. And I'm saying, no, you actually should sometimes slow the team down to make sure that those concerns are addressed. The domino effect, the circular aspects, the more system approach because we might play to a consumer benefit and think that we're human-centered, but we might be hurting someone else over here and breeding harm in our activity. So I think there's something to be said for challenging the clock and not everything is urgent. That's a, pretending to be urgent is always important. And as designers, with our innate ability to visualize the system, synthesize the system for folks, we can shine a light in places where people aren't necessarily looking or paying attention. And then the other side of that is Again, short-term thinking, we have to challenge that as designers. We, we create the future in partnership with others, right, of course. But if there's any discipline that needs to like raise their hand or raise their head up and say, you know what, I'm going to look up. I know we're working on this over the next year, but what's happening in three, five, seven years? What's the confluence of, of value criteria and trends and headwinds and tailwinds? Where are the future landscapes going to be? And not just one most likely future, many plausible futures that could be in front of us. How do we prepare for that? How do we anticipate that? 
and explore that as designers, create some bandwidth and some calories to make those explorations. And I honestly believe the best brands do that, do that well. And that feature context that we surface for teams to consider actually helps inform the context of the things that we're building today and shipping today. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we need strong and I think design leadership or voices, I think, within organizations in order to make that clear, right? And to articulate, I think, these ideas and true design communities for that. And yeah, and I think it's, it's great if designers get involved in that direction. Talking a little bit about maybe your past experience, I mean, you have mapped them out at the very beginning. You had quite a few different stations in your career. What were some of your favorite projects where you really saw you can contribute positively to society or to people as users with uh, your role as a designer? No, uh, you know, I think it starts with one tangible example from the Nike days, just going through the process. And I, I applaud Nike for always embracing design all the way to the top of the company. Design is an equal third of collaboration to inform every product, you know, whether it's the triad of design, product management, and, and development slash manufacturing to bring any product to bear. Like that was my early taste of multidisciplinary sort of work. And then the watch people on the sidewalk wearing your sneakers, <laughs> it was quite a powerful feeling. But more systematically, when I started working within the likes of BCG and serving their clientele, their executive clients, right? Like being in the C-level room, the boardrooms with chief officer of such and such, right? All around the table. One of my favorite feelings was, even though perhaps I wasn't a, an alpha business person, like asserting an agenda that way, but the evidence, the evidence that we created earned a seat at the table where you know I could represent design or other colleagues could represent design in those forums. And when the business people weren't expecting it, I felt compelled, I felt convicted to stand up and go to the whiteboard and just start visualizing the conversation. Again, with the subversiveness of, of understanding, empathizing with business stakeholder, visualizing for them live, like, is this what you're trying to say? And then, you know, feeling the room attention shift to the whiteboard And then I could actually insert my points of view and representing design, representing the, the audiences we're serving, those convictions, those value criteria, and visualizing and bringing their thoughts and feeling that momentum that we actually brought the conversation to a new place. It could open up avenues of opportunity. BCG as a platform gave me that, those experiences to do that across multiple industries for you know, Fortune 100 global enterprises. This is super interesting what you mentioned there with the drawing board, because this is actually something that have been brought up on a podcast over and over. That, you know, if you are at a design manager in, an, in a conversation, you try to build bridges and think about what is the impact that you can control with designers. Sometimes it's as easy as just visualizing and the quick visualization, right? And I think oftentimes as designers, we, uh, we often don't want to be the big pusher, just, you know, just doing the visualization, but There is actually tremendous values in, you know, understanding the other stakeholders in the meeting room, quickly visualizing what they mean. And that's the way you can build bridges to other people in the company, but you can actually fasten up the process because what's very often happens is that you have a very theoretical discussion going on, a very abstract discussion. Everyone speaks about something. Everyone has a picture in their head, but everyone has a different picture in their head, right? And people don't even know that they're thinking about different things, right? And as, you know, with quick visualization, like simple things like doodling or just storyboarding, I think you can, that, you know, and I think that ties together to design strategy and, and vision in a way. It doesn't, the drawing or the vision that you create doesn't have to be always the correct answer to the company, 
but it gives everyone a baseline in terms of like, is that what we talk about? Or do we talk about something else? And then it gives everyone, it gives everyone an opportunity to you know, bring in their ideas and make sure the picture that we're drawing is actually representing everyone or all stakeholders, which I think is a really great skill of designers that I think is very often, I think, underestimated. And I think things like efficiency, you know, how, how fast you move within with new ideas, I think greatly play into that. I absolutely agree. I, I think the thing I would add is when you do the things that you describe, when you create a confidence, create a courage, stand up and help and contribute, whether it's, or even go to the garage to make a prototype and come back and show something for the team, you're bringing everyone in and you really elevate a design to be at parity with the culture of problem solving at the highest exactly. level. Like you can bring it to the highest level. Yeah, exactly. You positioned yourself as a designer, as a, as a problem solver and collaborator, I think, which is yeah, really great to emphasize for design within an organization. I also want to use the chance to talk a little bit about your new book that you know comes comes out. I mean, it's probably still in process, but I think it would be great if you can already give the audience a teaser of what's going to come out and what you plan to do and what the topic is going to be that you write about. No, no, thank you for asking. It's funny, I, I submitted the final manuscript right before uh, Christmas time, holiday time. So so it, it, it will take uh, the publishing journey, you know, a year to launch the book. But uh, so February 2022, the title is Reimagining Design and the notion of unlocking strategic innovation by really bringing design to an elevated position, as much as you and I have been describing. And the, the book is actually positioned within John Maeda's Simplicity series. You know, he, The Laws of Simplicity, for example, or one of the recent works by my friend Kat Holmes with Mismatch falls under that series of of design, technology, business, and life as, as part of that simplicity series. So my book will be in addition to that chain of books. And um, it's going to be different than your typical design business book that talks a lot about theoretical frameworks and these sort of notions. Surprisingly, as I went through the writing journey, I went very personal. So I talked from lived experiences of the difficulties as well as some success, but the difficulties and challenges of navigating the different disciplines. It wasn't always celebrated. It wasn't always easy. It wasn't always welcome. But I talked to that. Also navigating as a, as a black man in America, corporate America, and what those experiences have felt like and how that's informed my perspective around design innovation and how we see the future and what, what lessons those lived experiences can provide to not only organizations as they think about their ways that they can transition, manage themselves to a, a more relevant sort of state of being, to be more fluid, adaptive, and, and relevant to those audiences, but also for individuals as you think about our individual careers. Like, how do we need to look at our own path, our own journey differently? Because we need to each own our career path. And, you know, the stepping stones that may have been success for some people before have to look a lot different as we move forward. So I speak a lot of, around these notions of breadth and depth. So, you know, it's actually in many ways a good thing to aspire to have a, a super depth of skill in a particular area. Maybe you have a couple in your career where you can really go deep and people can trust you to deliver in those areas of, of specialty. But in a future connected world, it's very important to have breadth to be able to connect with other stakeholders and be subversive to help them accomplish their goals to communicate, collaborate, to align strategically, these skill sets are very important for, for the future design professional. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I think it ties together to everything that was said actually in the, the episode. And I think the, the points that you have raised around you know, diversity and the change that is happening in the world. And, and yeah, I think one of the things 
I guess that you also mentioned, I think that, you know, designers, we have to be open to change. And I really like also your point that uh, last point that you made that actually when you think about T-shaped uh, people, right, and T-shaped designers, that actually the upper one is getting more and more important as well, right? Specifically, if we talk about the challenges at place around how could products and services be designed more, you know, inclusive, designed for, for better accessibility, designed for the environment as well. So I think that's a, yeah, that's a great learning. Talking maybe a little bit about Green's design and life, can you maybe talk a little bit of what you do there on a, a daily basis and so maybe some of the projects you were passionate about? No, sure. Thank you. It's funny. I'm, I'm approaching my third year anniversary <laughs> since leaving BCG, but the, the nature of the company is really steering calories toward the topics that I care most about. Number one, it's usually like the right paperwork. No matter if it's a startup or a large company sort of issue or opportunity, we're really trying to unlock a human imperative. So this goes beyond like this digitization, for example, or some other type of transformation. Like ideally we take on projects where it's like, yep, there's an underserved audience that's sitting on latent needs that are not being addressed. How do we go after that space? And also sort of use a lot of strategic design capabilities, whether it be future visioning, human-centered approaches, trend creation to anticipate different future landscapes around that point of need and how that need's going to sort of evolve over time. The other filter is beyond just the human unlock, I want to bring the best of my experiences across these multidisciplinary chapters. I've done a lot of physical product creation and some digital. And we know future state experiences are holistic across digital, physical, and service-based touch points, right? So... I tend to steer our time against Internet of Things clients. So right now we're working with a wellness startup here in Irvine, California, that's looking at weight management and, and bringing employees of enterprises to a higher state of well-being if they, if they use this offering. So they pick up a device, they blow into this device, it unlocks an understanding of the respiratory chemistry and provides all types of real-time information about what's happening in your body. And we're evolving the, all the different affordances from the device, app, human coaches that are actually on the platform. We're rationalizing sort of the behavior change opportunities and moving the, these populations of employees that where their companies buy into the service, moving them to a, a, a enriched and higher state of well-being. So again, human unlock, physical, digital, it, it's all in that kind of thing. And then also partnering with large organizations that have similar passions for those same topics. So that's that's sort of the composition of work right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think connects great to I think what you have pointed out regarding DMI and some of the things you are you are passionate about. So it seems like multi going over multiple different disciplines, right, and and taking a holistic view at, at topics. And how did you know? And I think to some degree you answered this uh, previously already, but specifically maybe around your maybe also what you do with dreams design and life. How did you know COVID changed your work as a design leader there with the other partners that you work with? You know, it's interesting. I think the challenges, uh, naturally, there was a drawback, right? Everyone, all the clients went quiet. But then after a few weeks, the phone started ringing or the email started coming in again. And it wasn't um, the, the question of, oh, let's start a new design sprint on this topic or, you know, innovation sprint. It was actually, I'm, I, I have these challenges. I have an organization question. I'm having to deal with organizational reformatting, rewiring my business. Like, these questions were starting to come. I'm, I'm really concerned about my employee well-being. And we started having just conversations around those things that they were bringing up. And it was an opportunity, again, like elevating the, the impact that design can have 
of just being a problem solver, a thought partner, an ear to those existing business relationships. And it's funny, I think the intimacy, even though we're separated, the intimacy of those interactions grew where the, the dynamic between, you know, um, think tank or agency and client enterprise it immediately blurred. It was just like, I'm, I'm here for you, here for me in terms of their interest of wanting to continue that collaboration. Many of them are offering me help for my business and vice versa. It was this almost like weird, surprising deepening of relationship. And then I think the last thing is because we're not physically able to connect platforms like uh, Miro, uh, Real-Time Board, M-I-R-O, that, that platform, <laughs> using it across all my engagements, like creating simulated team room spaces for us to visualize things and interact has been super helpful. Yeah, it's like the Facebook for designers these days, right? Yeah, and I think what's interesting, what you're pointing out is that, yeah, they, after maybe the, you know, when we all recognize that this is going to be a global uh, challenge, I think there was a lot of uncertainty in the system, right, for a short time. But then I think we had to be basically re reminded as well that actually change is an opportunity to, to reimagine things for innovation. And it's actually an opportunity to, you know, step in and actually contribute and do something differently and see how you actually react because it's all about the reaction that you do when something comes your way, right? Uh, rather than the, the thing itself. And if you look at the past, what even, I mean, not comparable, obviously, but, you know, the financial crisis and other crises in the past is actually also a point in time where you can actually drive a lot of change, also positive change. I mean, obviously, despite all the negative things actually that come with it, which I, I don't want to underestimate here at that point, but... Basically, it's also an opportunity, especially, I think, for designers, actually. And I think what was interesting, actually, is that, I don't know if you noticed this as well, there were actually a lot of, and there still are, a lot of initiatives, actually, that, you know, hackathons and uh, different types of, you know, COVID hackathons and different kind of challenges and, and, and initiatives that started that, you know, try to see how, what could we do about it, right? How could we help? And I think this, is, uh, this was also something that was great to see, I think. Absolutely agree. You know, it's, uncertainty is a variable, a very powerful one, if we leverage it in the right way. And again, to your point, not, not to underestimate or undermine the, the negatives and challenges that people are experiencing, right? My heart goes out to everyone affected by the recent challenges. At the same time, we definitely have to, with gratitude, appreciate like what we have to work with and be creative about that. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to continue talking with you, uh, Kevin. Thank you so much for you know taking our time and uh, yeah, let us learn from, from all your insights and experiences and uh, it's been amazing. Uh, but I think we have to wrap it up, unfortunately, because of time. But yeah, thank you so much for you know, taking the time here. No, thank you for having me, very honored. And I congratulate you on this, uh, this podcast uh, series. It's really incredible. Thank you so much. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a thumbs up and let me know in the comments about taking me in the polls. What were the biggest learnings for you in the episode? I'm always super curious about that. If the episode provided you a lot of value, make sure to follow and subscribe and share it with friends or others so they also have the chance to learn and grow themselves. All right, until next time. Cheers.